Thank you, Lord. Uh, in the power of you, Lord, we stand. Lord, in your love, we stand. You know, it's, I love how you work, Jesus. You've been teaching me this week, reminding me this week uh, that you love me. And um, I needed that this week, and then you just come up here in the morning and you surprise me. And uh, I love how you do that, Jesus. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your great love for us. For those of us who aren't feeling it this morning, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would give us the lively conviction that you love us, Lord. Thank you. That's our strength. Um, that's why we're here. You initiated this, Lord Jesus, uh, and we love you in return. We thank you, Jesus, for our time together. Amen. All right. I'll just one flash here. This is my costume. Yes, I believe they are in first place, so, all right. kind of feel like a wizard also. All right, so, we are continuing in our message series today called Clarity. Hopefully you remember this. Uh, we're getting clarity about uh, some big rocks, some big things in our lives. And we started with just some basic orientation, like, who are we? Who are you? Uh, just recalibrating, getting God's word about who we are. Who are you? What does God say? And it's a little bit intense because what God says about who you are is, um, is challenging. Um, he says that either you are a sinner or, get ready for it, a saint. A saint, somebody who's been made holy by what God has done for us. You're, you're one of those two places. You're either alive in Christ or dead in your sins. Um, you, and his eternal life, his spirit is flowing through you. You're either an enemy of God or a child of God. You're either condemned or you're forgiven. You're either lost or you are saved. God wants us to have clarity about that because it's so important, right? These are, these are big differentiators. Uh, we need to have clarity about who we are. And then God gave us clarity about where we are. And here's the situation. If you're in that category sinner, you're in what's called the domain of darkness, a power structure that's working against you as well. It's dark. It's hard. It's, it's bad news. This is bad news. It's who we are. Where are you? Now, if you're, you're in that dominion of darkness... Um, God has good news for you. The good news that we are proclaiming, that God is proclaiming through his people, by his spirit, through his word all over the world, is that he has come into this broken domain of darkness to rescue you and me, to bust people out. To rescue us from the enslavement there, the blindness there. And to bring us, transfer us, into the kingdom of his son. The eternal kingdom, where God's rule and reign is established. And he's leading us in that, into this new heaven and new earth. Where are you? Who are you? And then the other question is, what time is this? Kind of the when question. And God has revealed clearly, repeatedly, through his words, that we now are in the last days. We are in the end of the ages. This is the time when God is gathering people into his kingdom. 
Now, if you're a child of God, redeemed, rescued, alive in Christ, then you, me, we have a role in this work that God is doing in the world of transferring people from here to here, from death to life, from darkness to light. You have a role. I have a role. Do you remember um, back to the retreat, those times at the beginning of this series, uh, what is that role? We have a title for it. Ambassadors. Yes, we're ambassadors of Christ. Such a great picture. What does an ambassador do in general? What does an ambassador do? Represents something. Yeah, represents. And in our case, who do we represent? God. Christ the King. Uh, His kingdom. You're a representative, living, breathing representative of Him. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 lays it out for us. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. So if you're in Christ, you've transferred into that category, saved. If you are in Christ, the new creation has come. You are a new creation. You were dead. He made you alive. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And all this, all that is from God who reconciled us, reconciled you to himself through Christ and gave us, gave you and me, all who are alive in Christ, the ministry, the work of reconciliation. That God was reconciling, listen to this, the world separated from him, fallen, enslaved to sin. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, through Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He's created the safe passage and has committed to us, to you and me, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, the message of reconciliation, the good news about God reconciling the world to himself. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Listen, God making his appeal through us, through you and me, to be reconciled to God. We're doing this on God's, on Christ's behalf. And so Paul ends with this. We implore you. If you, you don't know where you are, if you, you don't, man, maybe I'm in that sin category, maybe I'm in that domain of darkness category, listen to this. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He's made the way for you to be reconciled to God. So first fill in, let's capture this. It might be hard to own, but we've got to hold on to this. If you are in Christ, if you're in Christ, saved, child of God, reconciled to God, if you've been saved by him, you are an ambassador of Christ. That's who you are. It's part of your new identity. Your son of Christ, your daughter of Christ, now you're an ambassador of Christ. God is, or at least wants to, make his appeal through you to the world, to those who are still disconnected from God, separated from God and perishing. God wants to work through you. He wants to do that great work through you and me. Now, you may be thinking, uh, I'm not qualified to be an ambassador for Christ. That sounds big. That's a big job. You might have to wear like a suit and tie or something. What qualifies you to be an ambassador 
for Christ. What could you possibly do to, to be qualified to be ambassador for Christ? What qualified you to come into the kingdom of God? What qualified you to be a son or daughter of God? Your good works? Your obedience? He did, yes, he did. What God did for you, came and did for you on the cross is what qualifies you. That's your qualifications. That's your accreditation. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for your sins, paid for in full. God's work. All we do is say, yes, thank you. I receive that gift. He makes you a child of God. Eating that. And now he offers it to all of us. Those, who have received, those of us who have received it are now qualified to be his ambassadors. Now you might be a lousy ambassador. You might just be terrible at this. You might actually be a hindrance, right? to the work that God's trying to do, but you are an ambassador by nature of who you are now in Christ because of that new birth that he gave you. Ambassadors of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who you are. An ambassador of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The word that was spoken and created all things the Son who is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, the one who sustains all things by the power of His word. You're an ambassador for Him. What a crazy, wild honor that is. The one who loves you. The one who loves you. Well, how do I know He loves me? I thought about that this week. Because I told you, I was just feeling like, eh, struggling. Two things unshakable, untakeable, two things that point to God's love for me, for you. Number one, we spoke about it, the cross, that historical time-space event, God coming in the world for you, paying it, laying it down for you. If you ever not feeling like God loves me, sometimes we don't feel that. Remember that truth. Number one. Number two, for some reason, he chose you. He chose you. He called you by name. I didn't choose him. Jesus says it to his disciples. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I chose you out of the world. He, in his sovereign choice, his just loving grace, he chose you by name. Two things to always remember if you're not feeling the love. Things are hard. Things are hard, you're struggling. You know, I feel love when I'm succeeding, when I'm doing well. Like, things are, you know, that, that's easy to feel. But when things are struggle, God wants us to remember that he loves us. All right. So we get to be an ambassador for this great, amazing God, the creator of the universe. Good deal. Wow. Okay, how do we do this? I, I mean, how do we, I want to do this well, right? Let's. Let's, I don't want to be a lousy ambassador. I want to be a great ambassador. Like, I want to be the best that I can be. I'm not going to be as good as, you know, so-and-so, or, you know, we don't compare, each other, compare ourselves to each other. But let's be the best ambassadors that we can be. And, and you can, you're an ambassador in an area. He sent you to an area that I don't go, that Judy doesn't go. You have your own, like, field that he's sending you into as an ambassador. 
So let's be the best ambassadors we can be. Okay, so what is an effective ambassador? Number one, an effective ambassador, first of all, knows Jesus. All right, seems simple, but uh, let's not forget what we're doing, what our role is. We need to know Jesus. Last week, Jesus was saying, John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread of life. And we were astonished by what he was saying there. You know, we look for life in all kinds of different things, all kinds of different pursuits. And sometimes we're, we're, our soul is still hungry and thirsty. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread you're looking for. I'm the bread that will feed your soul. Your soul's thirsty. Come to me. We want God to provide all sorts of things, do all sorts of things for you. And he says, come to me. I'm the thing. I'm it. Come to me. Jesus is what you and I have to offer others. It is the very best thing we can offer anyone. And that is what we do, that's what ambassadors do. So to be an effective ambassador, you have to know Jesus, you have to know the one that you are presenting and hoping to share with others in the world. So stay close to him. When you're hungry, thirsty, go to him. Know him relationally, not just intellectually. Know him personally. He's calling you into that space to be with him and to do life with him. An effective ambassador knows Jesus. And again, Jesus, the reason we started this church, it's a lot of work. The reason we started this church 10 years ago is uh, because we're like, we just want to help one person come to know and follow Jesus. If we do that, we're successful. If we do that, all the work has been worthwhile. Because that's great. That's an eternal thing. That's a lasting accomplishment. Jesus is the best gift you can give anyone. I was uh, talking to Jane about that. She's not here today. Everybody knows Jane, right? Jane? Jane Jim? All right, so Jane uh, told me the story about this week. Uh, she, she actually told our uh, Wednesday Bible study. So a patient came in. Uh, she's an audiologist. patient came in uh, to try a new device, and it's a patient she's known for a while, and, and um, told her that, man, I don't even know why I'm here today stressed out, I don't know, you know, and this, they're, they're going to try out this new device, it was kind of a big deal, and he's like, I don't even, you know, things are hard, why am I here? I'm stressed, this is probably not the right time, um, but I'm here. So he's a little distressed, he comes in that way. All right, so, so Jane asked him what's going on, and uh, he shared with her that his wife, this past year, has had three major surgeries, and that they just got the horrible, terrible news um, that she, I think it's probably has cancer. Um, so he's hurting. He's coming in just with this. What does this guy need? Like when everything's falling apart, when, when you know, all the, the temporary stuff gets shaken, what do you need? What does anyone need? What does this guy need? He needs the solid one, the eternal one, the everlasting one, the immortal one. End of the day, when everything's shaken, brothers and sisters, you, maybe you know this already. If you don't, you will know this. When everything's shaken, there's only one thing that's unshakable, and it's Jesus. And God will let everything get shaken. God lets this world perish so that you, me, everyone comes to realize finally that God is it. Jesus is, at the end of the day, all you or I actually have. This guy needs Jesus. Jane knows Jesus. 
Jane knows this guy needs Jesus. But how in this setting at work, you know, with this client patient, uh, how can she help him know Jesus? Well, she does what an effective ambassador does. While he was sharing, she was listening to him and at the same time asking God, what do I do? What do I do? I'm here. I'm in this moment. Ambassador of Christ, she didn't use these words, but she's an ambassador in that moment, in that place. What do I do? What do you want me to do? That's like an ambassador mindset. You know? And it'll come in inconvenient times. Right? You don't know it's going to hit. That moment will rise. Are you ready? She's ready. She started asking. Okay. That's number one. Effective ambassadors know Jesus, and they know what people need. All right? Next thing, effective ambassadors don't just know Jesus, but obey him. They do what he prompts them to do. All right, now we got the, we got the great example, the classic example of Peter and John, all right? The eyewitnesses who walked, talked, ate with Jesus, all right? So they know Jesus. Um, and we, we are learning about him through some of what they shared. Okay, Peter and John, some of the first most effective ambassadors of Christ, Give us a great example of this. So this is uh, 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection. God pours his spirit out onto his disciples. This is the new creation. This is the new birth. Uh, the church has been made alive. And then they go out as his witnesses to tell people about Jesus and to invite people into this. They're ambassadors. And as they did this, people came in. Right? Acts 2. Well, Acts 2, let's put it there. Acts 2, 3,000 people right there in that crowd after Peter proclaimed the message about Jesus, repented, came in, uh, into this new life. All right, so then just the next chapter. Uh, again, this is shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection. The disciples continued to preach and teach about Jesus. All right, and they're in Israel, they're in Jerusalem there. Acts 3, they're in the temple, the center of Israel, the center of Jewish life. And the Holy Spirit prompted Peter... When he saw this man who was begging, who was asking them for some, some money, um, the Holy Spirit prompted Peter to do something. Let's look at this. Acts chapter 3, verse 6. Peter said in response to this guy who was begging, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Spirit prompted him to do that, and what did he do? He obeyed. Have you, I mean, that, that's a big, bold thing to say, right, to a guy who has never walked. We find out later he's, he hasn't walked since, um, he's never walked. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet. He'd never walked, and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. Wow. And we see this in Acts, that God, through the disciples now, is doing the same thing that he was doing through Jesus. And when Jesus did these things, when Jesus healed people, when Jesus did that, what happened? They heard that people... He's, he's making the, those who can't walk, walk. He's opening the eyes of the blind. What do people do? Start going. 
Hey, let's go. Hey, let's go. Have you heard? This is first century Israel, man. There's no Kaiser. Let's go. I mean, they came from all over. This guy can make bread. Multiply. Let's go. All right, that's exactly what happens. But now, through the disciples, they see this man. They know he's been begging. He's been begging out the course his whole life. And they see him running, jumping, they, and he's telling them what has happened. The, crowd, the crowd's there. crowd gathers to Peter. Verse 12, when Peter saw this, the crowd gathering, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by your own power, our own power or godliness, we'd made this man walk? It's not us. Peter doesn't point to himself. He says, verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. Like not long ago. Like two months ago. And you disowned him before Pilate, the Roman governor, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. Remember that exchange? You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. We've seen him. We've touched him. We ate with the resurrected Lord Jesus. God does a sign through Peter. The crowd gathers, and what does Peter do? Tells them the good news. They point to Jesus. Then Peter invites them to receive the salvation that Jesus won for them. Verse 19, he says to the crowd, therefore repent, turn, turn away from living apart from God, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away, canceled, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Let's see what kind of response Peter and John, these guys get. Chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, see the commotion, came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles, these guys, were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. Uh, why are they upset? Why are they distressed about these guys preaching about Jesus, risen from the dead? This, this is the same group that handed Jesus over to be crucified. Right? Okay. Verse 4. This also happens. But many who heard the message believed. Believed transferred from death to life. The Kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son. So the number of men, they just counted the men at this time, uh, who believed grew to about 5,000. So that's not including women and maybe children. So this, is, this thing's going big, fast. Next day, the Sanhedrin, the leaders, the religious leaders, spoke to Peter and John, got them out of jail, brought them before the council, asked them what they're doing. What are you doing? But they were baffled by their confidence in how these fishermen were speaking to them. They were, they were empowered by the Spirit. They were being effective ambassadors. And then the, the council met and debated, what do we do with these guys? 
I mean, they clearly God did something in this man, made him walk. So they called him in again, this is verse 18, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Cut it out. Stop talking. Stop being ambassadors for Christ. Stop giving the message of God, of salvation. External pressure to stop. To stop obeying what Jesus had sent them to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. Be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So, and these guys are in power. Let's see what Jesus' ambassadors are going to do here. Verse 19, but Peter and John replied to them, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard and experienced and know. Ambassadors of Christ who are effective obey Jesus over and above those external pressures, those powers, those rulers, those authorities. Who's your king? Who's going to rule you? These guys are, are doing it. No, Jesus is the true king. He's king of kings, Lord of lords. That's the one we obey. We're his ambassadors. We're part of his kingdom. He's the one to whom we owe everything. He's the one who holds us to account. And that's what they did. They kept teaching and preaching about Jesus. They kept. They went out. They just did it again. And shortly after, they got arrested again. And they got dragged before the Sanhedrin again. And they said this, Acts 5, 29. Peter and the other apostles replied to the Sanhedrin who said, stop, cut this out. Said, we must obey God rather than human beings. Oh, remember that. Because there will be a time this week, this month, when you will be faced with that choice. Am I going to obey God or human beings, a human? It might be somebody really close to you, someone you love. It might be somebody that you don't know and don't care about. It might be a boss. It might, I don't know who that's going to be, but there will be a choice this week soon where you have to decide who am I going to obey, this external thing, this authority, or the higher authority, Jesus. Effective ambassadors obey Jesus, especially when the pressure's on. There'll be those points. Maybe you had one this week. If you want to be an effective ambassador of Christ, here it is. Let's lay it out in a little bit more detail. Obey Jesus over and above other people. Other people. What they want, what they say, what they prefer, what they're comfortable with, or demand. Challenging, right? What's needed? What do you need to do that? Moment, trust and courage. Or trust and courage, whatever you like. Trust and courage. Trust, I'm trusting that, um, I'm going to choose to believe that Jesus is Lord. And obedience is better. And this may not play out well for me short term, but long term, I'm going to be thankful that I did it. Long term gain perhaps short-term loss. Trust. Trusting Jesus. Trusting that Jesus is with you. Trusting that's worth it. And courage. Courage is not, not being afraid. It's pushing through the fear. 
It's, it's moving through and doing the thing that Jesus calls you to do, even though you're fearful. And you got scenarios in your mind of what might happen. And those things may happen. God may let those things happen. Courage. Courage in the face of external pressure. I want to be ruled by Jesus, not by fear. So going back to Jane's story. So she's in this. Um, she's listening to him share. She's asking the Lord, what do you want me to do? And she gets this idea to pray for him, to ask him, can I pray for you? Um, pretty bold. This, she, she would say this is what the Lord is prompting her to do, to pray for him then and there. But it's the office. It's a client. How is he going to respond? Don't know. No guarantees. The results are unknown and out of her hand, right? Out of her control. What does she need in that moment? She needs courage to push through. She needs to trust, to trust and believe that Jesus does speak, is speaking, and um, that he will do something here. He wants to do something here. So Jane, she did it. She took that little next step of obedience. Again, she didn't know how this was going to play out, no guarantees. And she asked him a great question. This is brilliant. It's courageous and it's gentle. She said to him, are you a praying? <laughs> Let me try that again. Are you a praying man? Are you a praying man? That's so great. It's brilliant. And he said, no, not really. Uh, okay. That's not necessarily an open door. But then Jane says, she said it felt awkward. She felt the discomfort, but she pushed through that. And she asked him, can I pray with you? Now, she, she was ready to pray in that moment. All right. So she pushed through. She obeys. An effective ambassador of Christ obeys Christ. And there's going to be external, external pressures that will shut you down, that will hinder you. Don't let them. Who's your boss? Who's your king? Who's your savior? These are things I have to remember. Jesus is, okay, I can do this for you, Lord. I trust you. I'm going to be courageous here. There are external pressures to shut you down, and there are internal ones as well, right? Yeah, internal obstacles. thought about this one, Matthew 26, 41. This is the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus was going to the cross, before he was arrested. He was, in there, he was there at night with his disciples. This is after the Lord's Supper. And uh, there, he's asked them to stay up with him and pray with him. But they were having trouble. They were falling asleep. They kept falling asleep. So Jesus said to them, again, waking them up, watch and pray. Watch and pray. So that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing. We know this, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This body of sin, this, these tendencies, it's weak. We're weak. Watch and pray. Because you're weak. Call on God's resources, because you have limited resources. The internal battle to obey. This is the next fill-in. Effective ambassadors, obey Christ. Now obey Jesus over and above yourself. We did other people, now yourself. What you want in that moment. What 
you say, what you prefer, what you are comfortable with, what you demand. Obey Jesus over and above even yourself. Jesus himself set the example for, uh, for us. He didn't just say, do this. He, he led the way. That same Garden of Gethsemane moment, when he's praying to the Father, he says this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. I don't want to do it. It's going to be awful. It's going to be horrible. I don't want to do it. But he wants something even more. He says, yet not my will, my preference, what I want, but your will be done. He submits to the Father. He calls us to do the same. What's needed when yourself is fighting obedience to Jesus? One word, a lot of words, but I, I came up with perseverance. I think that's just that pushing through, that perseverance. I'm going to push through this and obey Jesus. Philippians 3.12 says it well. It says, I press on, this is perseverance, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, let's press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. Let's obey Him. When it's tough, when we don't want to, when other people don't want us to. Jane did the hard part, right? She asked him, can I pray for you? She was obedient, you know, in that context. And he said yes. He said yes. And then he started immediately just talking more, giving more details about the situation and talking and talking. And, and Jane said, I, I kind of felt the moment start to slip away. Right, because she was ready to do it right then and there. She kind of was feeling like, oh, the time has passed. So there's a battle going on internally with her. Maybe I'll just say, I'll pray for him, you know, after he leaves. Right? But she knows that God's prompted her to pray for this guy then and there in person. She's in the battle. The battle's on. What is she going to need? She, does she persevere? This is where it's important in this moment, because it's going to happen for you, to remember why do this. Right? Why do this? Why persevere? Why obey? Why go for it? Why? Well, if you've lived just a little bit of life, you know this next fill-in. Disobedience to God brings all kinds of death. Little deaths, different kinds of deaths. Relational deaths, soul deaths, just separations from God. Disobedience to God is a dead end. If you don't know that yet, you will. God will allow you to run with sin. He'll give you over to your sin until you're at the end of it and you're like, oh, okay, once again, this has not led to life. All right, disobedience to God brings all kinds of death. The converse is true as well. Obedience to Jesus brings all kinds of life. Will you trust it? Will you believe it in that moment of decision? Will I obey or not? You gotta hold on to this. You gotta know this. You gotta be ready to believe this and, and apprehend this in that moment. Obedience to God will bring life. I might not see it until the end of the days, until, until I'm on the other side with Jesus. Maybe I'll see it this week. I don't know when I'll see it. I don't know when I'll see the results. I don't know when that fruit will finally bloom. But I know if you follow Jesus just a little bit, you start to see this. Obedience to Him brings life. So, Jane. 
He shares, he finishes, and she does it. She prays for him. She says, okay, can I pray for you right now? And she does. And when she finished praying, he was clearly touched. It, it was something was going on in him. It was good. And then he said to Jane, my sister-in-law is a religious person like you. And between the two of you, you're going to make a believer out of me. Just a little bit of life. You know, just that, that little green twig growing out through, you know, breaking through. Obedience to God brings life. At least opens the door to it, right? So let's be effective ambassadors for Christ. Let's help each other. Let's encourage each other in this because it's hard. There's external pressures. There's internal weakness. Obey Jesus even when it's hard. Now I want to give us a chance to process this with each other. And maybe you have a real example just happening in your life right now. Or maybe there's just a general area where you're struggling to obey Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to break up into small groups. Little huddles here. And uh, just share with each other. Share with each other the answer to this question. Where are you struggling to obey Jesus? I encourage you just to go for it. Hold back. We want everybody to have a chance. And if you're an undertalker, go for it. So you're going to get into these groups, share, and then pray for each other. So uh, small group leaders, would you just stand up? All right, we got a group back there. Go back to Stefan. Some of you can go back to Stefan. Uh, some of you can go to Tony here. Why don't you maybe head over there? And then Jenny's going to be in this corner. Mark's going to be there. Sarah. I don't know, maybe you can step out of the patio, whatever you want to do. So we got group leaders here. Find a group leader, they're standing. So we got Tony, Stefan, Sarah, Mark, and Jenny. Find your group. I'll do a group also.